Hello, everybody. Welcome back for another episode of the Play Sheet Podcast. Thanks for joining us again. I'm Charles, and as always, I'm with my good friend, Joe. Howdy, howdy, Charles. So, Joe, we kicked off last week's episode by talking about Russ Wilson and Jackson and them playing on contracts that maybe they're not thoroughly deserving at the moment. Uh, I feel like we put some juju out there into the world and it it didn't go down well. Yeah, this is a kind of flip side to these contracts. You can either have players on contracts not earning them money, or you can have players on contracts who are injured and in the doctor's room. And unfortunately, that happened to both players um, in the week just gone. Slightly different types of injuries. Uh, Jackson is out for the season. It's a bit of a bad one. Russ Wilson was allegedly playing through a hammy injury. I'm not sure if that's just a little bit of smoke and mirrors to distract from his play, but it looks like he's week-to-week touch-and-go at the moment. And then on the flip side of what we were saying about the Bottlemore Ravens, they held on for a win this week as well, which was they held on. nice for held them. Held on. Same kind of formula, though, uh, running ahead in the early stages of a game and then just letting the other team creep back into it. But this time, they held out. And, you know, not coming up, you have told you so, but they've had some defensive players back this week. Squad's starting to get stronger. Maybe they'll start putting themselves in situations where they don't have to hold on. But look, this is a decent Ravens team, and don't sleep on them. Okie doke. So let's get into the meat of what we want to talk about this week then, Joe. And let's start on our Monday night game. In a frosty New England. Frosty New England. Uh, Let's just break this one down, shall we? Because this is... We're recording on Tuesday and this is a big news of a day. So, Mac Jones was playing badly. Started the game. I think that the first three sequences went punt, punt, interception. Not a great way to start the game. A big fat bagel on the board. He had six pass attempts for 13 yards. Not too good. Meanwhile, while this is going on, the crowd start chanting for Bailey's app. Zap comes on, third throw he makes is a touchdown pass. Now, this is a story that the media is going with, that Bailey Zap came on and he flashed this kind of brilliance. But what the media isn't really saying and reporting is, I'd ask everyone who hasn't watched that game to go and watch that touchdown pass. It was a terrible pass, Charles. It, it was an underthrow. Now, the player who referred to, uh, Jacoby Myers, he was massively open, wide open. You could hardly miss him. But... The pass was the bad pass. He he had to kind of like f- go backwards, flip backwards to make the catch. He fell on the floor. It, it should have been an easy TD. But then he had to flop over the line because the pass was bad. But nevertheless, it was a touchdown pass after that bad start from Jones. Second drive, touchdown. It's looking like a fairy tale for Zap. But then that's kind of where it stops. And then he was garbage for the rest of the game. And the Bears eventually won, what, about 33-14, I think the score was. Yeah, so, so the other thing, and I think it is important that when we talk about this game, we do encourage people to go back and take a look at it because I think that there, I think the reality of how the game played out is potentially quite different from the stat line and the score line. And one of the things that I'd like to point out, and again, I don't want to veer into the realm of, of speculation. We try and avoid that as much as we can on this podcast, but we've spoken a few times about the importance of holding the locker room, being a leader, people following you. One of the things that I notice is when when Mac Jones was out there, New England looked terrible, but they all looked terrible. I'm not just saying that Mac Jones looked bad as a quarterback. There were a lot of people not playing up to their potential. Then Zap comes on the field and suddenly it's like New England have remembered how to play again. It felt like a lot 
of players out there stepped up their effort when Zap was on the field, effort that they weren't putting out there when Jones was in play. I don't know if you felt similar watching the game or not. I think not. It was, well, let me come at this from a different way, Charles. I don't think that it was a raising their game because they prefer to play for Zap. If you look at the after-game comments that Jacoby Myers made, he basically insinuated that he thought it wasn't on, that Mac Jones was basically benched, and that he didn't feel that Mac Jones was treated right. So Myers came out in that kind of presser, talking Mac up and, you know, fighting his corner. So I don't think that there's a player preference for Zap from what we can read from those press conference comments. That's not to say that the players didn't raise the game. Now, when you get a quarterback benched, it's basically like firing a shot at the team and saying, it's not good enough, things have got to change. So that could have been the impetus for the team to change. But let's not forget as well, though, it was a short-lived thing. You had those two touchdown drives that Zap had once he came on. And then after that, the offense went back to sleep again, and they were dead for the rest of the game. And they were shut out after those two initial drives. So it was all round really a bad performance from the Patriots, except for that little island. Now, what does it mean, though? We saw Mac Jones on the sidelines mouthing, I'm out. Now, there's a whole host of factors that could be aggravating him here. No quarterback likes being benched. We know that. The crowd, though, you have to wonder, what was going on with this crowd for Mac Jones, who you could make a case for him being the best rookie quarterback out of last year's crop, and it was quite a big crop as well. He arguably outplayed Lawrence, arguably outplayed uh, Fields, arguably outplayed Lance, he did hardly play at all, uh, and Wilson as well. So he, he had a good rookie year. He's had injuries to start off this year, but for the crowd to be chanting for Zap, uh, you can kind of see why Mac Jones was quite upset about it. I definitely agree with that. You can totally understand why he was upset about it. I do think that crowds, NFL fans, they tend to have very short memories. The one thing that I would say, though, is this isn't unusual behavior from Bill Belichick. He often keeps quarterbacks on a very short leash. We saw what happened with... You know, we saw what happened with Super Cam when when he was uh, playing for New England. It, It kind of... He doesn't give quarterbacks a lot of rope to hang themselves with before he looks at switching things out. But if you believe him, this wasn't even a leash thing. If you believe what Belichick is saying, it was always the plan to play both quarterbacks. His plan was to bring Zap on during the game at some point, almost go with a dual quarterback system through the game and bring Mac Jones back on later. He said he didn't bring Mac Jones back on later because the score had already flipped so much that they couldn't win the game, so he was going to just leave Zap out there. But... It's it's really hard to read into this, whether this was a true benching, whether it was pre-planned, whether Belichick is trying to backtrack now and try to, you know, rebuild bridges with Jones because it's not like the Zap experiment went much better. It's a really hard read, but the fans, I think, certainly made things worse. And I think this is this is like the kind of final curse of Tom Brady that any quarterback picked in the late rounds for New England who had a glimmer of playing well. People are going to think that that's the second coming of Brady because it's happened once previously. So why won't it happen to the Patriots once again? And uh, this whole zap situation, I don't think would happen elsewhere. If you had a quarterback get hurt, get injured out for three or so games, Zap has played okay, but he hasn't been liked out. It's not like he's been playing like, you know, Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. He's been playing perfectly fine and fitting into the system for what he's had to do. He's been throwing 150 yards a game, your touchdown here and there. 
But because this is the Patriots and because of the history that goes with this team and the whole um, the whole Brady saga, there's this baggage that comes with that. There is. Um, I, I suppose on the flip side of that, the New England Patriots are now throwing interceptions at the highest rate in the NFL. So if that's happening, is there more impetus to then say, well, do you know what? Maybe we do need to change things up a bit. Maybe we do need to look at different options because what we're sticking with isn't working. You've got a second-year quarterback who had a decent rookie year. You've got the kind of sophomore blues right now, second season. Defences are adjusting to what we've seen with him. It's always hard that second year to recreate what you had in that first year and build on it. So rather than overreacting, they should be looking at ways to get Mac Jones onto that next plateau and get him up there again. And I think that's just simply what it boils down to. It's just so reactive to just suddenly latch on to a late-round draft pick just because once upon a time Tom Brady did that and it set the path of a franchise for the next 20 years. It's not always going to happen. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Uh, Well, sticking with the theme then of overreaction, shall we shift on over to where Brady is now and talk about the Buccaneers and the Panthers? certainly a a surprising that was a shocker yeah that was a surprising (laughs) outcome I think you know look we've both been uh, fairly overt critics of the Buccaneers this season even going into the season we highlighted a few problem areas that we thought they might struggle with that's certainly proving to be the case but I think we all were agreed with how bad the Panthers have been performing this season so the upset here was certainly never on my score sheet that's for sure well, and the Panthers were at their lowest. The Panthers have been bad, but just getting straight, they just lost their coach. They traded away their kind of iconic face of the franchise, Christian McCaffrey, to the 49ers. They'd lost Robbie Anderson to arguing with the coaches. Strife in every part of this team. The Panthers were down and out. And now the Buccaneers, we're talking about injuries. The Buccaneers had all their wide receivers back. They had Mike Evans out there. They had Godwin out there. They had Gage out with it. This, you know, this this threat from the offense that, that, that we've been talking about or that the media have been talking about since the start of the season was all on show there. And, wow, they were terrible, Charles. They were ch- terrible. Against PJ Walker as well, who I think we're down to, what, the third, the third choice quarterback at Panthers now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a bizarre game. Where do you think it went so wrong for the Bucks? Or counter to that, do you think it it was a fantastic game for the Panthers? Where where do you think the victory slash loss lies here? I don't think the Panthers played amazing. I don't think no, they I agree did with that. anything particularly special. You know, fair play and kudos to them for overcoming what's clearly been a bad week for the franchise and give them due for that. But there's a, there's a narrative with Brady right now because of everything that's going on in his personal life. And everyone's loving the memes that are out there about didn't give up the wife and kids to get beaten by Mitch Trubisky and didn't give up the wife and kids to go down to the Panthers with a third-choice quarterback, blah, 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 blah. And people are putting this on a kind of mental state of Tom Brady. And we'll come back to that in just a minute. But you've got to look at the game plan from the Buccaneers. And, 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 and let's just be sensible and look at that first. Byron Leftwich, I don't really know what he is trying to do with this offense here. But you've got a 45-year-old Tom Brady throwing the ball 50 times in the game. And that, to me, just was like madness. There's no balance to this team whatsoever. They threw the ball 49 times. 50 is a a one-throw exaggeration. But basically, they threw the ball 50 times. And it wasn't like they were a long way back early. It was uh, seven nil down at the half, only fourteen nil down going into the fourth. So it's not like they were having to play catch up four scores down in the second quarter. The game was close for much of the game. 
They had 46 rush yards on 14 attempts between White and Fournette. There's no balance there. The offense has become predictable. Brady's going to throw the ball out. Uh, and now, admittedly, he's he's probably not playing as good as we've seen from Brady. So uh, that kind of psychology, what's going on with his family, yeah, there might be some of that. But when you're as predictable as throwing a ball 50 to 14 times rushing, defenses, defenses can line it up and they know what's coming. Do you know what? I completely agree with that. And I'm sure we're going to come on to it in a short minute. But... I feel like that's the same problem that Green Bay have as well. And we've discussed it a couple of times. You've got in Brady and Rodgers, fantastic quarterbacks who can still play wonderful football. But there seems to be this kind of stubbornness with play calling and this inability to mix it up and to to move on. Almost like a fear that, do you know what? If we don't give it to the star quarterbacks, they're the ones that are going to save us. And that inflexibility, I think, ends up being the kryptonite of the team then, because as you mentioned, they just become so predictable and it's so much easier then for teams to defensively shore up against something that they're fairly certain is coming. And when you need some confidence wins, when you have lost games you perhaps thought thought you weren't going to lose, when you've had those problems, you just want to hold the ball. You want to control games. You want to just get in front stay in front, see games out. And you're not going to do that if you're basically throwing the ball three times to every one time that you rush it. More than three times to every one time that you rush it, like the Buccaneers did on Sunday. It's just a terrible game plan. And if they carry on in this vein, uh, this will happen again and again and again because teams will just defend the pass. And you can defend the pass if you know it's coming. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, we we talked about their O-line being a kind of bone of contention this season and that teams are going to be able to get through and get to Brady. If you know that that's going to happen, if you've seen that happen a few times already this season, why are you still putting it in his hand 50 times? Why don't you say, let's ease off some of that pressure. Let's bring in some run plays. You know, if the own line is not in a decent enough position to create gaps, then you've got to look at, at different types of plays. We talked about shifting from the laterals and into the kind of shallow switches. Like these are things that that we're still not seeing that adaption from the Buccaneers and from Green Bay in the way they're they're calling these plays and they're getting loss after loss and and you're thinking well yeah of course nothing's changing nothing's changing and remember as well when you go free and out when you're throwing the ball you're not getting the clock going so by not getting the clock going it means your defense is going out there straight again pretty quickly and that's what's happening with these pass plays. The defense is staying on the field for too long, which is why teams that haven't been scoring particularly proficiently through the season, like the Panthers, can suddenly start scoring on you because your defense is knackered. So control the ball, give your defense a rest, get through the chains and just work up that way. But until they do that, the Buccaneers are going to lose more games. And you know, let's not forget, the Buccaneers were second favorite to win it all going into the season. And they're looking a long, long way from that right now. Well, Joe, let's move on to a team with similar issues then and let's talk about Green Bay. But before we do, just talking about how bad this situation is for both the Bucks and Green Bay. At the moment, you now have the Bears, the Bucks, and Green Bay all on the same record. And let's put it this way, this is not the Bears overachieving. Absolutely. And, you know, before we even get talking about Green Bay, I just want to talk about balance of the offense once again. How many times do you think Green Bay ran the ball this weekend, Charles? 
Oh, it, it must have been minimal. It, 12? 12 times. I believe Jones had eight rushes, perhaps, and Dylan four. Something like that. Something <laughs> oh terrible. Goodness. 12 rushes. And again, it gets predictable. If you know that the pass is coming, and we've talked about play calling for Green Bay every time we talk about Green Bay this season, we know that they throw the ball far too much from third down. When you know the pass is coming, it's easy to defend. And look, if you go zero and six on third down attempts, you're not going to win anything. You're not going to win anything at all if you can't convert on third down. And Green Bay just weren't converting on third down. They are predictable. It's the same thing we've basically talked about all season. One thing we haven't talked about as much has been the execution of Rogers' plays, how he's how he's basically performing out on the field. It's generally been to at least an acceptable standard. But going into this game, there was talk of an injury. There was talk of an injured thumb. It was played down, blah, blah, blah. Not that bad. He's on the field. But he didn't attempt a pass of more than 10 air yards until the end of the first half. And when he did attempt that pass... It was probably one of the worst passes I've seen from Aaron Rodgers in his career. He overthrew Watkins so much that there was a potential pass interference call, but the refs didn't give it because Watkins couldn't feasibly catch the ball. That's how far away the ball was when Rodgers threw it downfield. An absolute terrible overthrow. Rodgers really stank out there. He looked bad, and it's not something that we're used to seeing. Can you give an explanation for it, Charles? Anything more than perhaps a dodgy thumb? No, and you know what? It's it's worth bringing up because one of my criticisms at the Giants game was that I felt that they were trying a lot of deep throws and they weren't doing enough running and they weren't doing enough short, dinky passes to kind of move the chains. I think we at least saw a switch in that this game where we saw a lot more kind of shorter passing attempts, but they were not connecting at all and that was the bigger problem I kind of felt like the game calling at least they were trying something different something that they needed to do to mix it up but you know when you're when you're not even making those short connecting passes to just chunk up the field and move the chains there's a bigger issue here and I don't know look you can blame not having the wide receivers all you want but when you're expecting a guy to just catch it three or four yards down the field you don't need elite elite wide receivers in that situation to be moving the chains it seemed like there was a bigger issue there but when you overthrow a receiver so much that a pass interference penalty is not given I mean that's a big miss Charles that's a that's a big miss. And any wide receiver, you could be Antonio Brown, Justin Jefferson, Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill, whoever you are, you can be out there, and you're not going to catch it if you're overframed by that much. Oh, for sure. And uh, look again, people will claim that it could be a chemistry issue that Rogers doesn't have as much as experience with throwing to these players and knowing how quickly they run, knowing how quickly they they move through their routes, but. To your point, it was such an overthrow. That wasn't just a case of miscommunication. That was that was just poor execution. It was Sammy Watkins as well. It's not like he's a slouch. He's going to be one of the fastest receivers on the field there. So if it was, you know, someone a little bit slower, then I'd say maybe there's a little bit of there's a little bit of juice in that carton. But Sammy Watkins, if there's one player you shouldn't overthrow because he's your fastest guy, it's Sammy Watkins. Rogers' stats were padded up massively, Charles. He completed 23 passes, but nine of them were dinks to Aaron Jones. You take away those nine passes, and I mean, he completed 14 to his wide receivers in a game that they were trailing. Now, we've talked about the balance of plays. It was 35 pass attempts to 12 
rush attempts, basically a three to one, once again, massively unbalanced. But when you're not executing and you're not hitting those passes, I mean, you don't really stand a chance. And, and let's just put things into context once again. This wasn't a good Washington team. It's not been a good Washington team. And it's not like they executed particularly well. Taylor Heineke finished with two touchdowns, an interception, a, a rating of uh, 85.5, which isn't good in anyone's books. This was Green Bay stinking, really. It was, but I will die on this hill. I think if Wentz played that game, we might have had a better chance. I'll, I'll happily die on that hill with you as well. But look, so without kind of beating the drum too much, because I know it upsets you talking about the Packers being this bad, they've lost now to the Giants, to the Jets, and the Commanders. You, you say that last season, and it almost blows your mind. The Jets and Giants, okay, we talked about them coming back, but the Commanders aren't that much better either. You lose to those three teams. What's going to happen when you come up against the Bills next week? Yeah, I'm not expecting great things at all. They've got a really, really solid defense and they are going to make, I think I think they might put Rodgers in quite a bit of pain. Listen, I, last week I was very much the doom and gloom guy on Green Bay. And I do want to point out, this isn't just me being a grumpy, pessimistic fan. Like we talked through logically the kind of gaps and the areas and the concerns that I had about Green Bay and why I thought they were longer term issues and not a bad week. I think we're now starting to see that this is a pattern and that those things that I had concerns over are things that are happening week in and week out. You know, you can always say there's time to turn things around, but we're talking about three or four major problems with the team. And I think it's going to take a lot longer to sort that than a week or two. So yeah, I don't have you're, a lot of hope. It's not just three or four major problems with a team. It's three or four games. You're back from the Vikings in first place in the NFC North right now. Vikings are five and one and have the head to head against Green Bay as well. Green Bay three wins. They have to beat the Vikings and find another two games to take the NFC North. And to be honest, like we said last week, playoffs, even on a wildcard basis, are looking pretty shaky as we stand right now. Yeah, and again, that wasn't that wasn't me being the Grim Reaper. I genuinely thought it would be a struggle. I definitely don't see us coming in, in first in this division, so it is purely a wildcard route. And the way we're playing at the moment against, as we pointed out, the Commanders, you can't be losing games like that as unconvincingly as we did. And that's why I don't think we'll make that wildcard spot. With things as bad as they are, with Green Bay uh, struggling to make playoffs, with Rodgers you know, starting to play really badly, are we going to see Jordan Love? Could that happen? So I, I think it's very hard to predict whether we'll see that because I think the thing about Green Bay is there is a lot going on behind the scenes to appease Aaron Rodgers given the massive spat that happened a couple of seasons ago. So whether we will or not, I'm not entirely sure. I think we should, because I, I think you've got Rodgers for, what is it, one more year? And for what? There's so many problems with this team at the moment that hanging on to Rodgers for an extra year isn't going to achieve anything. So let's see what you got with Love. Let's put him through his paces and and let's see what you have, because you need to establish very quickly whether you think you can rebuild with him the team or whether you need to look elsewhere for another quarterback this is the perfect opportunity to try that because I fear that the season's already run away from Green Bay I, I kind of agree with you I think that they'll be sticking with Rodgers basically while they still have a shot at playoffs and they're still going to have a shot at playoffs for at least for the next four or five weeks yeah so I, I don't see Jordan Love really playing not playing until the end of November at the earliest 
the second consideration as well is is that when you put Love in, you're basically saying goodbye to Rogers because I don't see him coming back after he's been benched. Yeah, um, completely. He'll 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 go and sulk in his room forevermore, and that's the last time we'll ever see him. So it will be a big decision. But as you say, uh, this team is only going one direction right now. Now that we've said this, now that we've slated them, they'll probably go out there and beat the Bills next week. It always happens. <laughs> but um, let's uh, let's see what happens. Fans can dream. So just to finish off, Charles, um, big trade news, if you can call it that, this week. The biggest trade story, Robinson going to the Jets. What do we think of this? I think it's a great move for the Jets. Hall went down at the weekend. He was a major component of their offense. They needed to bring somebody in that could fill that gap whether he is the right man for that or not look he's essentially at worst a filler so I I think it's exactly what they needed to remain competitive and obviously the Jets feel they feel good about themselves at a team to be making a trade like this because this isn't the kind of trade you make if you don't think you stand a solid chance of making the playoffs we haven't seen the Jets do this for years actually trading in season to pick up a player because they want to keep winning we just haven't seen this. And, you know, you've got to feel sorry for him a little bit. We talked about our admiration for how the Jets have turned things around last week. Brees Hall, you've got to feel massively sorry for him. I think he was on for offensive rookie of the year. Name me a rookie who's played or who's made an impact as big as he has. In six game weeks already, he's been rookie of the week twice. Had a huge impact on the Jets. Really, really big shame that uh, his season just comes to an end prematurely. But, I mean, look, Robinson's been massively underappreciated in Jacksonville, if you ask me. He had that falling out with Urban Meyer last season, but I think that, if anything, talks to the strength of his character, if anything else. (laughs) Um, The the enemy of my enemy is my friend, something along those kind of lines. He's a very good player on his day. He was basically the focal point of Jaguars' offense for much of the early parts of last season. He stepped in when... Etienne was injured in preseason and, and and played great. Etienne, on the other hand, I mean, he probably had his best game of the season on Sunday. First time he's gone above 100 yards rushing. But we just look at his stat line just superficially. He's had three fumbles versus one touchdown this year. When you're fumbling three times as much as you're scoring, you've got problems. Ball security is a big issue. The Jags are going to be in lots of close games. You don't want to be giving up turnovers. And that's why, for me personally, I wouldn't want to be trusting Travis Etienne with this backfield. He'll he'll be the man because basically the other two players that they have there, Jermichael Hasty and Snoop Connor, they're not going to make a big impact there really. So Etienne is shaping up to have a workhorse role. But when you're fumbling that much, red flags there, Charles. Red flags. Yeah, I think that's I think that's quite a decent observation, Joe. I mean, I suppose the one thing I would say from the from the Jaguars' point of view is they have what they consider to be two very solid running backs on a team that rarely finds themselves in a winning position. They clearly feel that by losing one, they can they can get something back that's going to help them in the future more than hanging on to these two running backs at the moment obviously with Robinson you've got the Achilles surgery that he's been through whether that's affected an element of his speed and quickness and potentially they're thinking maybe more longer term in terms of durability that might have swayed where they went with this I do agree I think Etienne hasn't shown that he can be trusted for this workhorse role. But as a decision that the the franchise is making 
which is to look to the future and to say we don't need these two very good running backs right now and we can gain more from draft talent in the future I don't think it's a terrible shout I do think it gives a kind of message though really it feels like the Jags are not all in on this season already oh yeah we're not at a halfway mark the Jags have won two games over two and five right now I think so you trade away a player like James Robinson and I think you're signaling you're signaling already which is perhaps what I wouldn't want to be doing as a front office it's not like the Jets gave a massive amount of compensation their way for it but if you ask me right now uh it's definitely the Jets who have come out winners of this trade let's let's hope he plays well for them yeah, totally agree. I mean, the Jets have got something very valuable from this trade, something they desperately need now to keep their season alive. And I think what we're seeing from the Jags, you're absolutely right. It's a signaling, which is to say, we actually don't need to shore up this team to win now. And we're prepared to waive what talent we have now in the hope that we can bring something better in the future. Yeah, certainly a silver lining for the Jets as well after what's been a terrible week, losing not just Brees Hall, but Alaya Vera Tucker as well. Dark, dark week for them. Again, don't want to be the uh, the voice of doom and gloom on the show, but we're going into week eight now, and there is only one matchup this week between two teams with a winning record. <laughs> is there really? Is that true? Yeah. What, all the good teams on buys? <laughs> yeah, or playing, or playing some stinkers. I'm I'm just looking through the slate now. I'm, that's absolutely true, Charles. That is absolutely crazy, and it's it's probably not it's probably not the two teams that people would initially think of. So the <laughs> so the winning record game being played this week is the Giants versus the Seahawks. Yes. Wow. I think most pundits probably thought neither of those teams would have winning records at this point in the season. Yeah, exactly. But here we are. Yeah, yeah. You've got you've got you've got the forty ers playing the Rams with neither team above 0.500 there. You've got what are the big name teams you've got you you've got Cincinnati versus Cleveland. Only one of those teams has a winning record. Cardinals versus Minnesota. Wow. Yeah. Um but here we are, Charles, eh? Here, here we are. Who knows? Maybe your accumulators will have better luck this time round. <laughs> it's been a wild few weeks with plenty of upsets, I think, which I, I think just speaks towards the transition of some of these teams that we've seen in ascendancy for a number of years now. Uh, and I think maybe some fans have got a bit too used to the status quo, and I think we're seeing a real shift in the league. So let's wait and see what this week holds. It's incredible how you get a power shift as the old guard quarterbacks is changing and the knock-on effect that that is having on those teams, just showing how pivotal these quarterbacks are for those teams. Like, I mean, people have predicted it for a long time, saying, you know, when Rodgers goes or when Rodgers, you know, starts to decline, the Packers will fade away. I think some of the fans haven't liked to hear that and have talked about their defense and their offensive line, but we're seeing it in action right now. We're seeing it with Tampa Bay too. We've said the play calling and there's a huge part of that. But the play calling perhaps wouldn't have been an issue with those quarterbacks when they were in those primes and they could carry those workloads. Uh, yeah, and actually, if there's any bigger signalling than that, Matt Ryan has lost his starting spot at the Colts. Oh, yeah, we were going to talk about Matt Ryan. So just to get Matt Ryan in really quickly, shoehorn him at the end. Sam Erlinger is going to be the starter for the rest of the season. This isn't an injury thing. They've basically come out and said that Matt Ryan is benched for the rest of the season for the foreseeable. Huge call. And again, it's a bit of a strange decision, really. Sam 
Ellinger's been on the bench there for the best part of two seasons, it's probably not like they don't know what they have with him. He's been around for a while. It's almost like they're annoyed with Matt Ryan so much, they're just kind of done with him. Which is an incredible turn of events with the hopes that they had again at the start of the season. Hasn't exactly gone to plan for the Colts. Very topsy-turvy, although the games that we've got this weekend should be, by the record, more one-sided. So let's wait and see if there's any truth in that. I doubt there will be, Charles. (laughs) There never is. It's the final international series game of the year in London this weekend. Wembley Stadium, Broncos versus Jags. We'll see you there if you're going to be there. And if not, I'll see you next week, Charles. Until then.